0: a quick hello and we're good to go welcome to the show luke oh sorry luke carthy i always want to say mccarthy why it's
1: a, it's a thing it's a thing it happens it it happens all the time so i've got an alter ego where i'm just a mccarthy and i'm cool with that so it's fine anyway
0: (laughs) i'll do it again a quick hello and we get to go welcome to the show luke carthy I think I know why it is, because Luke Carthy is quite difficult to say, because there's 2 c-, 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 c next to each other. So you kind of think, oh, I'll put something in between, it'll make it easier to say. It works.
1: I'm happy <laughs> with that, mate, it's fine. It just means I can't be ID'd <laughs> if I do anything wrong, because people just say, my name's Luke McCarthy, and then they can't find me, it's great.
0: Right, yeah, oh, so you become incredibly, what's the word, um, anonymous. Anyway, exactly. we're gonna start off with your brand SERP. I looked you up before, of course, and we have your brand SERP. And if uh, Anton can put it up there. Yeah, there you go, you've got some lovely images. This is in London. And I was really intrigued by the Twitter boxes. Now, I call these dormant Twitter boxes because it's the Twitter link ranking second with a little bit more space above and below than a normal blue link. And my bet is if you tweet twice, I can reactivate them. So here we go, you've just tweeted twice. And if we can share my screen, we can see here that same result with the Twitter boxes with a little bit of space above and below. And I'm betting that if I refresh this page, and this is dangerous because it's live and I might get this wrong, <laughs> those Twitter boxes will appear. No, they didn't. <laughs> oh, well, the Hello Jason one did. The, the, yeah, it, it, it appears here, but it doesn't appear as Twitter boxes. There you go. Yes. Oh, Ooh. it's like that. These are dormant Twitter boxes. You can see that the space above and below is slightly bigger than it should be. And that is how you identify a dormant Twitter box that Google will trigger the Twitter boxes as soon as the person tweets a couple of times. Bingo, that was brilliant. I'm so happy I did that. Thank you, Luke, for helping. Next screen up is the second part of the Brand setup. You also have a dormant knowledge panel. I found your KGM ID and your name isn't in there your photo isn't there but there is a knowledge panel it's just empty okay so moment. as you said kind of semi-anonymous luke Carthy, a lot of the time on the certs but also with that first one those beautiful photos uh you look magnificent if i may say so uh, with that beard <laughs> and the photos are actually very kind of uh, consistent which is really difficult to do so congratulations on that
1: yeah mate. cheers mate thank you I think blue's my color right
0: yeah I think it is so we gave you pink oh oops <laughs> <laughs> <I'll take laughs> messed that one up so today <laughs> we're talking about striking the right balance between SEO and CRO now I'm imagining that you're going to be focusing a lot on on e-commerce for this is that correct or am I making assumptions that no you're,
1: you're spot made? on mate this is my um yeah this is my sweet spot it's where I spend probably nine-tenths of my work uh, for clients so, yeah e-commerce through and through
0: brilliant yeah and uh, Fabrice Canal passed the baton to you last week and said are you going to implement index now
1: um so actually very good question and the answer is I don't know uh index <laughs> now I don't even know what that is is that what if, is that at all is that at all I don't know of yet
0: Yeah, no, right. It's basically the idea that you can ping Bing, you can ping Bing with updates to pages, new pages and pages that have been deleted. So Bing can then come and crawl it. So it's the idea of pushing your content to Bing as opposed to Bing having to pull it. And the idea right now it's Bing and Yandex, and they're hoping that Google will jump on board soon. I'm betting that Google will. And I think once Google will, everybody will be pinging Bing and Google.
1: Fantastic. No, I've, um, I'm going to take a look into that. I'm actually just let scribble that note down. Wait, hold on.
0: <laughs> well, I did oh, an yeah. interview with him last week, and he explains all Check about it, out. why it's interesting, and for you for e-commerce, like when you change a product, when you update the price, you update the availability. Pinging Bing and pinging Google with Index Now would be absolutely brilliant. I would bet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And talking about Yandex, actually, um, I guess I'll tip that I'll give from the off is Yandex Metrica which is, I don't know if it's new, actually, but it seems to have gotten some steam and momentum recently, which is Yandex's answer to Google Analytics, which has a handful more bells and whistles than GA, and is also free. Um, wow. So something worth potentially. I haven't even looked into, I haven't scratched the surface of this yet, but it's on the top of my to-do list to build a, a playground for or for a client to um, to let me go wild with an integration for them. But yeah, Yandex right. and uh, Metrica.
0: Brilliant. Metrica, top of the list. Index now, second on the list now. Yeah, why not? Brilliant. (laughs) Now, on to SEO and CRO. Now, I talked to Will Critchlow about this uh, two years ago in one of the first episodes, um, and I've totally forgotten everything he said. (laughs) So uh, if we can go through that again, obviously, with your point of view, and you're coming from an e-commerce perspective, whereas he was being more general about it, um, the idea that CRO is necessarily going to ruin SEO or that they're competing in some way is quite common. Is that correct?
1: Um, I would say it depends on how you look at it. So if you're looking at it in the sense of development resource or your product capacity, then yes, you're going to be in direct competition. But if you look at it in terms of money in the till, so to speak, and core KPIs for a business, then, then no. Um, and my, my argument to that is, you know, SEO. Is, as much as I love it, and of course, you know, that's the whole point of, of what we have in this conversation. There is a lot of SEO that is not essentially in your control. Regardless whether you fix those technical issues or not, there's no guarantees that you'll get the the, the estimations and rewards that you were expecting in terms of traffic growth.
0: Right.
1: CRO, however, is a very different game um, because of course you're in a much greater control of what happens on your own uh, website. So. And additionally, it's normally easier, and I say normally with a with a massive pinch of salt, it depends on the the, the, right. the states of CRO you're looking at. But um, equally, you know, my, my way of thinking about this is if you start with CRO, um, and, and we can sort of jump into the to the realms of what CRO is, because a lot of people would consider it to, to be A B tests and for sure, but there's a lot more to it than that. But if you're able to optimise conversion, um, then effectively you then begin a solid argument um, to ring-fence budget for SEO. Because let's be honest, your stakeholders don't really care. If you're making money, you can say it was SEO that did it, and then you've got a bigger SEO budget and a better, greater confidence. And that's something I did from experience.
0: Right, yeah, because I mean, clients come to me, and one of the first things I say to them is, before we get into SEO, let's look at the traffic you already have. Are you converting it as much as you can? And the answer is pretty much always no. And often it's really simple things, isn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it is normal. You know, CRO doesn't have to be hugely advantageous experimentation or changes. It can be things that are really simple. Um, But equally, if we think about it, you know, clients will come to me and come to agencies and a bunch of people and say, right, I want SEO. I want more traffic. Mm. Um, But although there's nothing wrong with saying that, that might not be the biggest priority. There might be an issue where you're converting at 0.8%. Um, and we need to understand why that is, you know, um, and sometimes rectifying those problems can be done in, say, a couple of sprints versus a 12 months technical SEO project, which will improve your traffic. but You still got to convert at the same rate. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. To kind of answer that question for me as a consultant as well, it's normally where I start to um, deliver ROIs as, as quickly and as effectively as possible. But you saying it doesn't have to be complicated, it could be messages it could be call to actions um it could be just things like enabling guest checkout like the amount of clients i still work with where guest checkout is an internal argument and i'm like why are you arguing about it are we here to make money or we're we here to be politically correct what do you want to do so if you want to be politically correct then that's fine but you haven't hired me to be politically correct You've can,
0: hired can i ask just why it's politically correct not to have a one-page checkout
1: Oh, so a guest, a guest checkout to be specifically so that they could be...
0: Oh, sorry, a guest checkout, excuse um,
1: me. It's all right. There could be a really solid argument um, in the business. That's how we've always done it, which is a cliche one. Or right. um, we don't want to because we're going to hemorrhage the collection of information. Um, and that's why we want to, to you know, to, to force people to create an account. But like, what is it that you want as a business? <laughs> do you want the sale or do you want the data? Now, of course, you want both. But one has to give, and normally, if you speak to the right people in the business, which is the senior stakeholders, the C-suite, they couldn't give a rat's ass, to be frank, about the data as such. To the to the if if the data, or the the need to collect data, sacrifices an increment increment in sales, and there's all those other ways you can collect data, right? So.
0: Right. Um, Yeah. And and, and that kind of thing is saying, well, if I force people to give me their information so that before they can actually make the purchase, I'm losing potentially some sales and there's always going to be a nice balance. I mean, the whole thing is always about balance. It's not about going all one way or all the other of trying to either collect all the data or trying to push people through sales completely and losing the data. It's about finding the balance that makes sense for your business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have a client right now where there's a, a conversation and a pushback from finance, um, because they don't want to use PayPal, and finance right. are kind of dominating the conversation right now in the business, and they've got very valid arguments. I'm not going to say that you know, I'm not going to belittle their 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 thoughts there, but if we're again thinking about the bigger picture, if there is an opportunity to increase sales by adding um a, a more diversity of payments, um, morning. Someone <laughs> here from from, uh, from
0: California. Paul, Paul Andre Devera, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Hi, Paul. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. Um, but yeah, just like adding more payment options is one that's normally going to uh, result in an uplift, where the customers have a preference for using PayPal. Some customers might only choose to only ever pay by PayPal. Um, but not having that could be a bigger detriment to the business than, a, the, the, than the actual very valid argument that finance may have. So right. I guess we're talking more politics and the business and bureaucracy in the business rather than actual cro but it's the same thing you know as a consultant i would to jump in and say right you're missing a b and c and they're really simple switches um but to the business they're quite big dramatic conversations and sometimes having right. someone external who can add meat to the bones as to why it's important is enough to get that over the line um, um.
0: Generally speaking, the more payment options you give people, the more you will end up selling, the more you will convert. Uh, and PayPal is one of these things. I mean, I think there's kind of a reaction sometimes against it. But a lot of us feel safe with PayPal. Because you think, well, I've given my payment details once and I don't have to just keep giving it to everybody. And if there is a security breach or whatever it is, at least it's only once. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I get the fees are higher and your money's mm you know, as a a business, as a seller, your money's more at risk because PayPal can, you know, can rip access away from you at any point. But, um, you know, there's rules and things you can put in place as a a seller, whether you've got certain products that you exclude from that, whether you've got maximum uh, basket values or certain destinations in the world that you want to remove PayPal from. But just by having a blanket, we're not doing it for reasons X, Y, and Z. Is it worth the loss of sales as a result of making that decision? Um, But my point here is, you know, if we we go back to the point of SEO versus CRO or the perfect blend of that is if you don't have the right payment options, but you have had an increase in traffic by 20% this time next year, it could have been uh, an increase in traffic of 20%, but an increase in sales of of a similar number potentially. So it's just thinking about how you can maximize the two
0: um,
1: rather than giving the client what they want, which is more traffic because they believe more traffic is more sales. If it's more sales you want then it's probably CRO we should start with and then double down on that with SEO, uh, either in tandem or afterwards.
0: Right, yeah, and and kind of the idea of, you know, the same traffic, sell more, increase the traffic, sell more. With that increase in traffic, you're winning probably three, four times over on different aspects of that. Um, And we've described, or you've talked about the uh, guest checkout. Um, I mentioned the one-page checkout. Is the one-page checkout really helpful? Or is that one of those silly ideas that I have that isn't true? Do you know,
1: one-page checkout is, like the less steps you have to making a purchase is never normally going to be a bad thing. Um, As always, there's exceptions to the rules. I guess it depends on sometimes if you've got lots of fields, it can be quite overwhelming to have a single page checkout um, depending on what it is that you know you need to collect from that user um, but equally if it's a regular uh, checkout experience with nothing too special no bells and whistles then a single page checkout can be really easy but what's also brilliant is it might even be worthwhile if it's worthwhile doing is giving the customer a choice whether you have an express checkout option um, or the normal option and then identify what percentage of traffic goes where and see which one you could you could defer. But you know, I guess that the way in which you could do that um, fast payments, which is a relatively fresh and new and very fast growing, ironically, by their name, um, <laughs> is. Uh,
0: can you, can can you tell us wrong. what it is, though, because you just said it as though I should know what it is.
1: It's yeah. So fast payments is a, a really disruptive um it's, it used to, well, it started as a new payment option. It's kind of like PayPal on steroids, a so one-click checkout. Wow. Um, okay. But they've now started to bring out headless commerce and a lot of other cool things. But what it basically allows you to do is go to a product you want to buy, hit one button and purchase it. That's it. So you can almost mitigate um, or add an alternative way for customers to buy if you've got a legacy checkout and it's three or four stages. I'm looking at you, Hotel Shuffler, because your checkout is horrendous. Um, <laughs> But if you're in that kind of situation, adding in new technology providers can allow you to have a really streamlined checkout without having to necessarily disrupt the product team in, in having to make them build an entire new checkout experience. Right. Um, so you can offer both in tandem, right? PayPal's the same. PayPal Express checkout. They have that sort of thing as well. Um, so I guess to answer your question, there's ways of giving customers what they want without having to ask the product team to go away and completely redevelop the, uh, the checkout experience. Right.
0: Yeah, why are there two principal problems? Hi, Paul Lovell is here. Always great You're to right, thank you both. Spot on loop traffic does not always equal more sales. But one thing that strikes me about what you just said is in companies, there are often blanket refusals on things, and we've always done it like that. Um, and the, the specific thing also of saying we want to choose how the user goes through checkout, not the user. And that's totally the wrong way around, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the way i like to think about e-commerce is it literally is a digital experience of a high street store so would you be happy walking into a sainsbury's or a tesco or a walmart wherever you are in the world and being told exactly how you have to do your shop exactly how you have to check out exactly how you have to pay i mean the answer is of course no so why would we it be okay to assume that your consumers are going to want that same um singular way to purchase right so just doesn't make sense. I and mean, you can even think about the way in which people discover products and so on, which I guess is a slightly different tangent. Um, but why do products only need to exist in one category? You know, why can't you people shop in different ways? Um, and so on and so on. But the way I like to think about e-commerce is, um, yeah, just trying to emulate or better the experience that people would expect on the high street.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so we've looked at CRO. You've come in and you said to the client, right, let's improve our CRO Uh, conversion rate optimization and they have accepted that they've invested the money in it are you developing the SEO strategy at the same time or does it wait for a second wave?
1: Yeah so that's really interesting so funny enough when clients um, when I guess the first onboard clients I don't normally talk about CRO or SEO to be honest Um, unless I'm kind of people want specific information which is normally the product teams but when it comes to stakeholders and the people that brought me in it's about growing sales and that's the the, the title if you like of the service right. um so for me there's normally both in tandem there could be a really quick template level technical seo fix we can make so you know the, the usual kind of cliche things of pagination or canonicalizes to the first page or you're indexing your site search or there's just a lot of bloat urls so these tickets can be you know, you could do maybe 40% of all the technical SEO fixes in five tickets if, if you know, if you're lucky. Um, but that is a completely separate resource and, and a completely separate part of um, part of things separate to, to CRO. But equally, I guess you could also have some tasks that tackle both in equal sense. So we know for a fact this is of no surprise that if you improve in site speed, if we're doing things like integrating uh, compressed images and uh, lazy loading and all that sort of good stuff, they kind of teeter both and, and scratch the itch for both CRO and SEO. CRO from the, from the perspective of faster load times is better conversion, and of course, faster load times, um, better crawling right. and everything else, all that efficiencies from the SEO side of things.
0: So is that one of the first things you look at, the things that will actually tick both boxes at the same time? Do you think, right, let's go through the ones that tick both boxes, then start to deal with the rest?
1: No. (laughs) The things that I do first are the ones that are going to require the minimum amount of investment from the business, either financially or by time, and maximum output. And these things are normally um, site search. These things are normally fasted navigation, discoverability of products, merchandising, pricing, stock. These are things that I can kind of say, well, the reason why this, you know, you've got someone who. You might have, say, this might be your uh, this product features frequently every month in your top ten for page views, but you don't have any stock, or the price is way off, or people are searching for this all the time but they can't find the product. These are things where it's a simple email or a meeting or a configuration I can mm. change once I've got access to tools that can actually move the needle really fast and have, I haven't even written a ticket yet. Um, so for me, it's it's minimum amount of input and maximum reward, and then we kind of that's the format I like to work down. So it's it's CRO from a central position, regardless of what the discipline is.
0: Right, yeah, and some of what you're saying is actually just good business advice. It's saying in your offline store, don't put the first aisle that people see in your shop being totally empty or half empty, uh, or containing products they're simply not interested in.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, it's no coincidence that there's flowers at the front of supermarkets, right? Like I'm always obsessed with how brands and, and so on, like. It's a completely different um, market. But, you know, if you think about IKEA, it's a renowned global brand. The way they do things, the psychology behind it, the fact that there's no windows, so you don't know what time of day it is, the fact that you have to walk around the store, you have to walk around the showroom, like, lots of things. And, of course, they've been very successful with it. Now, IKEA is not for everybody, because sometimes you just want to pick up something and you've got to do, like, a six-mile hike before you get anywhere. Right. Um, But, yeah, don't, you know, don't make it difficult for people to buy with you online, because unlike a supermarket or a high street store, people might persevere because they've got to make the physical effort and burn the time to leave your store and go somewhere else. With a website, it's far easier, of course, as we know. Um, so people's patience and tolerance is, is a lot lower.
0: Right, yeah, I've got no patience and no tolerance with any websites. I'm, I'm impatient and childish about the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but but part of that as well then, is conversion rate optimization also inclusive of filling up your basket with more goods, i.e., basket filling optimization, BFO.
1: Uh, it, okay, yeah, that's an interesting conversation. So, that is probably where we think about uh, strategy, or so I do so with clients. So, these are things like recommendations, personalization, how effectively you merchandise, gamification of free delivery, um, thresholds, all that sort of good stuff. Um, and the answer to that question is, yes, it all falls into the same bucket as CRO. Um, and I think this is really where people's perception of CRO immediately is A-B tests. And bearing in mind, we haven't even really spoken about A-B tests yet, but there's a lot of things in the world of CRO that we've already spoken about. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. This kind of comes down to discoverability. If you're looking at a red shirt, um, and I say that because you For have a red shirt on Jason, yeah. Yeah. Um, There could be three other red shirts that maybe don't have the visibility because they're new and they don't sell as well. They're not in a sale, whatever it might be. Um, And you can you can bring those up and increase visibility of those with product recs, uh, effective merchandising, banners, all that sort of good stuff. Again, exactly like the supermarket model of all the stuff, you know, at the end of the aisle, they're not put there by mistake. In fact, they're the Mm -hmm. most um, expensive uh, and valuable parts in the supermarket is the central aisle, and the the, the aisle ends of the left and to the right of you they 're full of stuff that nobody really wants or nobody really needs but everybody wants it 's the basket ads it 's the one quid pack of biscuits and the what's some promotion you know it 's the, the the really posh cheese that 's half price that week you know so that's awesome. Right.
0: Right yeah to get me to fill my basket up and you actually said uh, gamification of free shipping is i mean i remember free shipping from right at the beginning of the internet when i was a blue dog in a cartoon in 1998 1999 with amazon and it was all, i can't remember what it was they introduced it but it was this whole big thing and then everyone started to do it and then i kind of thought it had gone out of fashion but it hasn't has it
1: no so my earliest remembrance of free delivery was when i first started in e-commerce um Oh God! About eighteen years ago now. Um, oh, you don't eBay. look
0: that old, if I may say so.
1: I know. Thank you, mate. I appreciate. It. I wasn't going to tell you. I was just going to say a long time ago, and hopefully, just. But yeah, I've, I've said it now. I've let the cat out of the bag. Um, <laughs> but I, I set up a number of listings on eBay selling HDMI cables, and one was, I can't remember the prices exactly, but one was say nineteen ninety nine with with three ninety nine delivery. Um, one was sort of you know twenty four quid um, with free delivery, and you know three to one the one with free delivery would always sell more expensive but i always had an experiment on the go and it would be putting the price up by a pound um but still offering free delivery so it would be actually be cheaper if you paid for delivery um but you know making a bit more margin and still offering free delivery and it still sold better because people used to add filters for free delivery people would just see that um and it's you know people people would have an issue it's ridiculous but People would be happy to spend three, you know, $400 on an item, but begrudge spending six, seven, eight dollars or ten pounds on getting that thing to your address, Um, which is crazy because the psychology is you jump in a car, you drive and burn fuel to go to a supermarket. But no one thinks about that because you don't see that money. But the the gamification of free delivery sort of comes in like a progress bar. Right. So if you've got, if your free delivery threshold is $50 and you're at 38, you kind of like that, you know, I don't know, you've got about 20 ish percent left to fill that bar to get free delivery. Um, and it's just that sort of stuff that I guess helps to, to increase, uh, encourage people to, to think about hanging around and adding a few more things.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that really brings up that interesting point is you have to think like your, your client or give your client the options to operate in the way they want to operate. Because I had a neighbor in Mauritius. And he would drive to the other side of the island because the biscuits were twenty rupees less expensive, which is like twenty <laughs> cents. And I kept yeah. saying to him, "But you're spending more on petrol and time." And he'd say, "Yes, but I'm saving twenty centimes." And for him, that was logical. And you just go, yeah. "That's not logical. That really isn't logical." Whereas I go the other extreme, and I don't even look at the shipping cost when I buy something for two hundred dollars.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean. Um, I'm as irrational as, as the example you just used as your friend like yeah I would do that Like, I'd go further out to the cheaper supermarket but I'm burning probably the savings I've made if not more in, in fuel to get there um, right yeah it's 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 ridiculous but everybody works in different ways but I guess the point is if there's somewhere selling the same item for free delivery, and someone that's selling the same item for for six quid, I think it's just or well, six quid delivery. It's just seen as a waste of money because it's not part of the product. It's a cost to get the yeah. item to your to your address. It's like a tax that nobody wants to have to pay. Right. Um, and it's it's yeah, it's painful. But what's really interesting is if you think about. Now in the year of COVID, um, and you know the supply chain issues that's kind of existed since the bloody evergreen thing uh, or Suez Canal issue and everything that's kind of staggered as a result of that. Um, is probably now less of a problem because people understand supply chain is grief, and I actually know from my own personal website, or my own uh, business, Afro Drops, I actually find that people are now paying a lot more for shipped. Uh, for tracked shipping rather than going for the standard free option right. because they want that security. So it's, it's almost like a bit of a shift at the moment where people are actually happy to spend a little bit more and have the insurance of knowing where it is and, and guarantee or more guarantee that it's going to be there rather than relying on the free standard untracked option,
0: um, right. which is interesting. Well, next question then. We've gone through free delivery. I mean, this is actually no longer CRO. I suppose it is CRO. But do, do coupons for your next purchase function
1: sorry do coupons for your next purchase
0: yeah if, if i if you say to me if i spend twenty dollars i'll get a ten dollar coupon for my next purchase that might be a bit too generous of course but um, yeah, the, yeah. the idea that you you give me future economy or future money off or is that a really bad idea that i just had which is a bit stupid
1: no it works because i mean i don't know how effectively it works but argos here in the uk do it every year or they have done it i think for five years running if not longer which is Towards Christmas, they normally do a spend £100 and you get a £10 gift card free um, to spend on your next thing, which is great, but also frustrating because you want to use that now. And of course, you can't. But um, I don't know really how effective that is in terms of securing the immediate sale. I guess it probably increases the likelihood of a repeat purchase but I don't know how effective that would be, or I haven't seen any experience or data to suggest how effective it would be at securing the current sale. Um, but one option I have seen that works really well and kind of really talks towards brand loyalty is paying a premium annual fee. And I think ASOS do this, and I'm sure a lot of people have jumped on a bandwagon where you pay something ridiculous like 20 pounds for a year's free delivery. now, it's if you look at it in terms of the immediate cost to the business, there's obviously going to be a loss. Like you place more than three orders or something like that, and you've probably lost the twenty quid. But actually, the convenience and loyalty from that customer of buying from you because they have that, I guess, almost black card access or that, you know, that that premium uh, kind of like Amazon Prime effect, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Essentially, um, and I think that's really powerful, especially in something like apparel and fashion where where returns are really high. Well, um, good point. And I imagine they continue to offer it because they make more money in the repeat business, repeat purchases, than they do from the immediate, um, you know, collection of that twenty quid or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, uh, I was reading about uh, Amazon Prime, and I think one of the things is, is there's something like twenty million people in the world who pay for it. So that's twenty million times twenty dollars a year or whatever it might be. And the other thing is that people think I've spent my twenty dollars on Amazon Prime, or whatever it is, the loyalty card. I will therefore buy more from this shop because I want to make sure I get my money's worth.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a again, humans, we're, we're weird creatures at times, but it's just, you know, boots, I think, are one of the OGs in in the points. Uh, I think they call it the advantage card where you collect double points at Christmas, and they're quite generous with it. Tesco club card. They're all, net to, net to card, they're all really good success stories of allowing people or encouraging people to shop, Um, within an ecosystem to in order to collect, and be part of a community and collect something. We just love collecting things, whether it's stamps, points, (laughs) whatever it is, we're we're big fans of it. Um, And the great thing is it's almost like a currency for that brand, right? Because they can't be used, they have no monetary value outside of that brand. But in that brand, they're great. And I'm a sucker for it because I've, you know, as many people have an American Express card and I collect all the points and I spend them on Amazon Prime. So I'm practically being roped in twice. (laughs) <laughs> think about it so, but we all love to do it we all love to do it
0: right yeah good point right so now back on to S- seo and CRO. we've pretty much covered CRO, and we've covered the the basics of the seo that you do that are easy wins and where it plays into the CRO. then what do you do i mean at what point is there any kind of conflict between seo and CRO?
1: yeah there there is like without a doubt
0: um Sure. Go into some gruesome restricted. details. Make me make me scared.
1: Um, so I think one is around product recommendations. Is actually one of the one of the the ones that are normally there's a lot of conversation and compromise that needs to happen because when you think about CRO, normally there's a general rule: more is more. So what I mean is, you're looking at a product. You have a carousel that has similar items. Uh, a carousel that might have. Um, Compatible items or items that go with that, that particular item you're looking at. So you can and then there's also maybe a third carousel of like something else, like people also bought with. You're already running into probably 30, if not more, products at that point. Yeah. Um, so then you think about internal links, right? So that is an immediate trade-off between, hold on a minute, are we massively diluted equity here by adding all these brilliant internal links um, versus CRO and giving people options? And then you've got the kind of counter-argument right in the middle of speed. You know, by offering all this CRO goodness, you're making things slower. So you're actually making SEO worse and better at the same time. Like, do you see? There's, there's never really kind of been a situation. So that's probably a perfect example because it almost argues with itself as well as arguing with SEO and CRO right. at the same time.
0: But would you you not then have to come into the A-B testing idea, which is what Kevin Indig was talking about, looking at at how that actually affects your rankings and your click-through rate and your traffic and your bounce rate and all that stuff um, by doing some A-B testing? Because, as you said, everybody's going to argue about it, and it's even arguing with itself. I love that term. Um, So you're going to have to A-B test. So we do end up talking about A-B testing.
1: Yeah, and and A-B testing is great. Um, for sure
0: i thought you were trying to avoid
1: it oh no i'm a big fan of them but the reason i I also am really impatient as a consultant i don't normally have a massive window of time like the amount of time i'm with a client is normally in the realm of about six months so by the time you've been appointed you've been accessed at all you have met the team you started running you know making some improvements you don't have a massive time to then go away configure and build a b tests, and then hang around long enough to get a, a, a result um and then implement that result into the business so i love them but sometimes you can run them and actually be no further no close to an answer um because for example you know you run an ab test on recommendations how difficult is that going to be to run because you will then there's an ab testing platform there's a product recommendation platform that you need to worry about and how the hell that works then you've got all the variables of whether it was due to stock or time of year or trend and it, it So A-B tests are great where you wouldn't question um, uh, 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 an outcome. So what I mean by that is if you're testing a landing page, something that's non-e-commerce here, if you're testing a landing page layout, um, it's pretty straightforward because it's static, right? So you can see which one uh, is better in terms of engagement or aiding conversion. But when you've got a lot of moving parts, like variable areas, as I said, product recommendations, breadcrumbs will change, that sort of stuff, even if you had one that was a strong winner in the a b test if you were in a situation where you can say yeah but there's no in my opinion there's no point running it because it doesn't matter who wins in the test if you're still going to be able to find gaps in the data or the all the test then that's the challenge um i think in in these situations the case to come back to the issue specifically this is where you've got the perfect blend of, of no index or oh, sorry for no follow Um, So you might be in a situation where rather than having all three carousels um, pass equity via internal links, you just have the similar items one, for example, um, have follow attributes and then add no follow to the the other ones. And that can be a a good compromise between internal links um, and and sending things to, to similar items. Without then diluting it so much that you're passing links to everywhere on a product page and making things potentially worse.
0: Yeah, diluting. Um, right. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and for the, for the A B testing, I mean, Kevin Endig was talking about taking a templated category or whatever and dividing it in two and then testing on each half of it. Are you talking about that idea or testing on the same page, two different layouts that you would present to different uh, users?
1: Yeah, so I guess even even already we kind of we're doing tests inside tests right which is great but then it's the you want to try and only change one thing at a time and changing one thing at a time and being patient don't mix or being impatient don't mix very well um but i I love what what kevin's talking about actually in terms of you know maybe looking at a test seeing which one is is more effective and then create another test inside of that test which which sounds great because then you can start to refine and that sort of thing. I think the challenge is when you think about realistically in a business, how likely is it that um, you got to, I guess it's just really important to create a sterile environment where tests aren't, what's the word, contaminated as a result of running too many tests at the same time. Um, And that is difficult in a big company where there's lots of simultaneous tests. Let's not pretend that AB testing just starts the day that I start. There's probably going to be tests that have been running, have ran, may still be active. People have been running a test for two years and they got lazy and didn't want to put it into to production, so they just left it in that platform. Like, trying to unpiece all of that before you create a clean test is going to take longer than six months. And I normally don't have the time with clients. But in a perfect environment, I love running tests um, on, on, on to what Kevin's point. So, category layouts, um, product page layouts, things that are more static and are more important. Mm-hmm. I think running tests on product recommendations is so very so many variables in there. Um, stock availability and everything being one of them um, not so much but wherever you feel there's going to be a definitive or you're not going to argue with the result I think they're great to run in e-commerce yeah
0: right okay what are the conflicts are I mean you've talked about the, the conflict of having too many elements on a page giving the user choice and confusing google or diluting your link signals within your site what are the conflicts does CRO typically bring up with this, the SEO side of things
1: yeah, so I think one is probably in the world of faceted nav um, mm. as well. I think this is a huge one for anyone who works in the world of e-commerce. Do you, for example, do you create a faceted nav that's really slick um, and you know is powered with AJAX, really fast, interactive, doesn't force page reload, um, or do you have a faceted navigation that is perfect from an SEO perspective and you know each faceted choice has a new URL? You're flexible in what you can index, what you don't. Um, from an SEO perspective, of course, makes sense to have URLs um, mm. and being able to control what URLs are accessible. But from a usability point of view, it makes sense to have a really clean, interactive, faceted navigation where you can pick all the options you want, things update in real time, and you haven't got to worry about reloading, especially on the mobile. Right. mobile. Um, and that is a, a beautiful argument, I think, and it, it's it, there's never really a right answer. The closest I think I've ever gotten to a right answer is having... Um, An Ajax-powered, faceted navigation that runs fundamentally on URLs for for, uh, behind the scenes. Um, That can work really well, but it comes with its complications. It's not perfect. But that seems to scratch the itch from a UX perspective and keeping things nice and clean, but also means that URLs are available to search engines um, to kind of go after those long-tail keywords and opportunities there. Um, But, you know, another example is like the homepage. Right. Do you want to go promotions or do you want to go with internal links like which is which is more effective um, from an SEO point of view, linking to, to pillar categories, linking to maybe second secondary or tertiary depth categories is obviously going to bring up the, um, I guess, the ranking and also reduce the, the the link depth and all that sort of good stuff. But actually, mm. is it that what the customer wants or is it just about helping to, to improve organic visibility of a particular categories that aren't doing so well? And that is a constant argument between merchandising, uh, marketing, SEO. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's a right, daily yeah,
0: argument. I, to the I now have a, an image of all these people standing in a row screaming at each other about whether to have the the the, the promotions on the homepage or the links. It's do you know what? If I can ever work with a client where that
1: happens, for me that's a good problem. Because the oh. fact that they're communicating in the first place is brilliant. Normally what happens is
0: This sounds so like marriage team, guidance counsellor.
1: <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Because <laughs> normally what happens is someone just does it and goes, ah, no one else cares, I'm just gonna do it the way I want to do it, right. because merchandising is the winner. And then SEO are like, No, that's not the you know, it's normally reactive where someone finds out rather than a conversation. So if a conversation slash debate happens that's good not many companies get to that level of stake they all work in silos right
0: right brilliant now absolutely wonderful I kind of we've covered an awful lot of stuff here um, what i'd like to do is can you give me your overview of the journey from somebody searching on google to clicking on the link to coming to the page to going through the checkout how do you perceive that and how do you describe that to your clients because for me it's a journey Um, Mm. And and if you perceive it as a journey, what kind of journey is it for you? What are the stages and how do people think as they go through it?
1: Okay, that's a good question. So I think to summarize an experience, um, there's two ways normally that people are gonna come to a site if they're coming from SERPs. Um, One, of course, is gonna be via the the PDP, the product page. um, And the alternative will be for a category page of some sort or a brand page or a search results page. Now, normally, um, you know, the broader the keyword, And the more traffic it's going to get, right, as we know. Um, So that would mean that traffic to category pages is likely to be higher than traffic to a specific product page. So if we just kind of, I guess, uh, talk about two experiences. One is which I know exactly what I want. Um, I'm going to search for that and find what retailer has it. That is product page, um, add to basket. We'll have a browse, have a read, uh, maybe click the... Um, penultimate breadcrumb link to go back a step if it's too far. So you might have clicked on a, on a again, T-shirt. Uh, you looked at the red one, but actually you want a blue one. So you want to go back a step or something like that right. and play around with the, with the variations. Add to basket. Uh, maybe have a read of some of the content. So like, what is your delivery threshold? What's your returns policy, etc. Basket, convert, happy dates. Um, right. It's obviously a great and simplified version because we know there's multiple visits and all kinds of stuff, multiple devices sure. that go into that. But... The alternative is, I think I know what I want, but I'm hmm. not really sure, um, and that could be men's shirts or women's dresses or you know uh, skiing sunglasses. It's a broader term. These will get the most amount of traffic, but this is also where the fall off is quite high, and right. this a lot of this depends on the algorithms that you use on your category pages, um, because you've got ten you know depending on what retail you're on. Again, to simplify it, you've got ten results on the category page. If a customer looks at that page and doesn't find um, what they're looking for in the first five or at least the first 10 on the first page, they might just leave. Mm. So there's a greater chance of abandonment. But from that experience, assuming they find what they want, category page, look through pagination, have a poke with some filters. Again, add to basket, look at some product reviews, add up your basket, and then check out and purchase. Um, But a really important point I want to make here is that I think one of the most important things that goes miss, uh, goes, um, abandons not the right word. I'm trying to think of the right word for it, but neglected. Um,
0: You're right, good at finding the words. That's the second time you've been going, "Mm," and then you found the word. i respect that because I struggle (laughs) so much. Sorry, go ahead.
1: I'm running on fumes, mate. It's coffee, I think, just kicking in at the right time. but yeah, is is the algorithms that people use on their category pages. So what a lot of people will do is uh, sort their category pages by what sells the best. Oh. But I don't really care what sells the best because what sells the best might not be what I'm looking for. Mm. Um, so been in a situation where you have, by default, things sorted by best and a supporting carousel um, above that, which is kind of more personalized to me as and when I start to look through the site, start to search, click on things um and and so on and so forth and i guess a perfect example of that jason to use your red shirt again i can imagine that many men aren't brave enough to to, to order a, a, a really distinctive red shirt i personally am not but i might think about it after uh, after seeing you glowing yours um but the point is that the, the better colors that normally sell are lilac white black navy blue that sort of thing the safer colors right if we like right so if you land on a category page at a, a men's shirt company, the chances are you won't see any red shirts unless you've made that part of your query.
0: I was Some actually shopping queries. for red shirts and I couldn't find any. And there it was there. I turned up on the page and they bounced because I didn't see any. And you're right, I should have dug deeper.
1: You, but you shouldn't have to. The, I'm not saying that in a perfect situation that, you know, if you're a brand new visitor, it's not going to understand that you want red. There's a great chance that you want black or navy or white. Mm. But by having a personalized carousel, once you've made at least your first purchase, or once you've started to click and browse around the site, I understand you better as a user. So you can either look by what sold the best, or you can actually just rely on the carousel that's made for you, but right. it's still at the top of the page. Um, and it's synony- you know it's anonymous because that's what Google do with the whole ten blue links and the um, the shopping you know the shopping strip at the top. Um, but yeah, I- I've kind of gone off on another tangent here, but that's another CRO conversation to have.
0: Right. Yeah. No, but you've really described well the difference between going through product pages and going through category pages. That was a brilliant ending to it because it also brings in all those different stats. Thank you so much, Luke. That was absolutely amazing. Uh, We're going to introduce next week. Uh, Next week, it's Coray. And he's going to be talking about understanding semantic SEO, one of my favorite topics. And Coray and I think I probably said that wrong delightful chat incredibly smart so you're going to have to put your thinking caps on when you come next week for understanding semantic SEO and I would like to ask Luke to pass the baton to Kore.
1: which hand do I need right my that camera's <laughs> mirrored I need right hold on wait 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 there we go Kore, it is yours my friend you can do your thing with uh with a brilliant semantic SEO knowledge, honestly, anyone who has semantic SEO knowledge, I think, it's a brainiac. Um, and just, it's a really intelligent side of SEO, and its API and wizardry and all the kind of stuff. I don't really understand, but I have a massive amount of respect for. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that's all about.
0: Brilliant! Thank you so much, Luke. Now, two things. One is, I never thought I was a brainiac because I knew some semantic SEO, and I never thought I was brave for wearing a red shirt. A quick <laughs> goodbye to and the show. Thank you, Luke.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. I've got a song as well, mate. Honestly, it's brilliant.